This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 21st. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, breaking down COVID boosters, talking tourism, county looks to boost housing mitigation requirements, and a mountain weather forecast. COVID-19 booster shots may be on the horizon for many more people. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration recently approved booster doses for Johnson & Johnson and some Moderna vaccine recipients. All that's left is for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to also approve them. And once that approval comes out, which is expected by end of week, we will be able to start implementing. That's San Miguel County Public Information Consultant Lindsay Mills speaking on KOTO on Thursday. Pending that CDC approval, boosters will be available to anyone who got a Moderna vaccine who is 65 years and older and people at risk of COVID-19 due to health problems, jobs, or living conditions. And that has to be at least six months after their last shot. For J&J, anyone who got that vaccine will be able to get a booster, regardless of age or health status. And they can get a second dose at least two months following their initial single dose. The FDA also approved a mix-and-match approach for the boosters. Anybody eligible for an extra dose can get a brand different from from the one they originally received. And the goal here is to make that booster accessibility easier. The official approval for mixing and matching booster doses is also pending the upcoming CDC review. All of this is on top of the already approved boosters for anyone who got the Pfizer vaccine who is 65 and older, or 18 years and older with an underlying medical condition, or who lives or works in a high-risk setting or long-term care setting. The federal government is also reviewing vaccines for kids ages 5 to 11. Mills says the decision on a Pfizer vaccine for kids is expected in the coming weeks. Clinics are expected to begin promptly as soon as vaccine doses are received. County Public Health plans to hold a webinar in early November to go over any questions about booster doses and vaccines for kids. When it comes to COVID cases, locally, it's a mixed bag. The county continues to get double-digit results for the number of local residents testing positive each week. But wastewater treatment data is also on the decline. Which is great. So we're seeing less COVID copies in our wastewater here on the east end, um, which indicates that our disease burden is decreasing over time. Um, And typically our caseload follows a week to three weeks after our wastewater treatment indications. And with booster doses, Mills says the county hopes to see a decline in breakthrough cases in vaccinated people. But statewide, the picture is more concerning. In the past week, Mills says, Colorado has seen the highest number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 since 2020. Cases and hospitalizations across the state have maintained a very high plateau over the last month and a half, which has resulted in front-range hospitals reaching 90% capacity, um, which is a highly concerning number. And those capacity constraints, she says, are impacting San Miguel County residents. We're seeing folks getting turned away from hospitals, being transferred from hospital to hospital because of lack of resources or the need to get them better attention. The county plans to review the existing local indoor mask mandate at the county commissioner meeting this Wednesday. And 
As the holidays approach, Mills says it's a good time to start thinking about how to prevent spread at those gatherings. Whether that's reducing your time in public with large groups of people or getting vaccinated, today is the last day to get your first Pfizer dose to be fully vaccinated in time for Thanksgiving. Um, there's still time to get your Johnson & Johnson in advance of that, of course, but that'll be uh, you know four weeks out. More information on local testing and vaccine clinics is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov under the COVID tab. Back in the 80s, Kelly Bricker worked for a travel program that took her all over the world. Tanzania, Kenya, India, Nepal, Ecuador, uh, Malaysian Borneo. I've been to Brazil, Belize, Caribbean, went to Tahiti, lived in Fiji for a while, South Africa. All that traveling got her interested in tourism and the benefits and costs it brings. I saw tourism do amazing things for communities, and I saw tourism absolutely destroy communities. Today, Bricker is a professor at Arizona State University who studies tourism and how to develop it sustainably. Telluride is in the midst of its own assessment of local tourism. A ballot question for this year's election, 2A, could give the town more flexibility to reallocate tax funding that currently goes to marketing to other uses, such as transit and affordable housing. Given the local debate over tourism, KOTO reached out to several tourism experts to get their take on tourism and what sustainable tourism development can look like. In my school, we tend to think of sustainable tourism as a broader concept in that it's tourism that helps sustain a community. Kathleen Andrick also studies sustainable tourism at Arizona State University. She says there are three pillars to sustainable tourism, environmental, economic, and sociocultural. So we're not only trying to bring in a lot of money on the economic side, we're also trying to mitigate things like inflation which and price gouging, which is can be a huge issue with tourism. We're trying to make sure that cultures are preserved and not commercialized for the benefit of tourism. Um, we're also, again, trying to conserve the environment because that's the basis of so much uh, tourism development. To me, and all honestly, honesty, uh, sustainability is, is, is a term that we use that's not something that we can actually achieve. David Cardenas studies sustainable tourism at the University of South Carolina. If you look at the word sustainability, it means to stay the same, to, to keep constant. And unfortunately, we don't. We grow older, I get fatter. Now, what I think sustainability is, is really uh, the ability to progress while maintaining and preserving our resources. When it comes to how to make tourism sustainable, all three admit there's no magic bullet. But one point they all note is the importance of engaging all the stakeholders in a community and talking to come up with a plan together. What is it about visitors, about specific people, or about tourism in general that's really causing issues in the community for the people who live there? There's got to be open communication because oftentimes we make decisions in, in isolation and in a vacuum. And those decisions have impacts on a lot of different people. And if you don't get the people at the table, most of the time we make very unsustainable decisions. You know, people have to rally around a common vision on what does this look like? Not argue about, you know, well, if we stop marketing, we won't get tourists. But what do we want? But Anderick notes it can be difficult to go backwards. 
it's hard to reduce numbers once you already have large numbers of people coming in. So management, she says, is a big part of becoming sustainable, especially around areas like distribution and circulation. She points to a study she helped with in Sedona, Arizona. One finding was that crowding and congestion were the big aspects of tourism residents objected to. It's traffic, and it's just people being around. Calibrating marketing, Anderick and Bricker note, is also part of managing sustainably. Marketing is about finding the right visitors, not just about finding more visitors. Getting people there that have a good fit to what you're all about. All in all, developing and sustaining sustainable tourism is a balancing act. And it's important because, as Bricker notes, tourism is such a powerful economic driver. So how can we harness that in a positive way? There's no one answer, and every place is different. But the first step seems to be getting everyone together to start the conversation. Tune in to Off the Record this Tuesday to hear from Mayor Delaney Young and the leadership of the Telluride Tourism Board for a discussion about ballot question 2A and the potential future of tourism funding in the region. Housing mitigation is in the air. A few weeks ago, Telluride Town Council approved increasing the town's housing mitigation percentage requirement for developers from 60% to 90%. Now, San Miguel County is having similar conversations about its employee housing residential impact fee, which the county adopted in 2007. All new residential development within the unincorporated county in the Telluride R1 school district are subject to the fee. The purpose is to collect the impact fee and generate capital funds to mitigate the employees generated by residential construction and the ongoing maintenance of those structures. That's County Senior Planner John Kubner briefing the Board of County Commissioners at a meeting this week. The fee, which can go toward affordable housing projects, replaced a requirement to build accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs, for mitigation. But the fee's scope, just looking at the impacts of construction workers and maintenance, Hubner says, is really narrow. It does not really look at, well, what happens when these homes are built? Aren't they going to go to more stores? Aren't they going to, you know, do other things that require employees here in the area? You know, there's going to be more people going to the ski area. It, it was just surprising at how little it actually generated. The county's current mitigation rate is 37 percent. Given the growing regional housing crisis, the commissioners want to look into options for increasing it, possibly as high as 70 percent. Here's Commissioner Hillary Cooper. The county in 2007... Um, set the bar extremely low. And they had their reasons for doing that. Things were obviously very different. That was more than a decade ago. Not judging what they have done, but because it was so low and because the county didn't take the time to catch the formula up, we now need to double down, triple down, quadruple down to catch up. Among other changes, the commissioners also want to explore incentivizing property owners to build ADUs. Here's Cooper. And I would like to uh, explore a requirement that those be occupied. We don't have any requirement currently that those are occupied. That's obviously problematic. Or in some cases, we don't. The county planning department aims to look into options for the changes over the coming weeks and provide an update to the commissioners in early November. Also at this week's meeting, the commissioners unanimously approved an extension of a moratorium 
on ADU deed restriction terminations in unincorporated parts of the county for another six months, as the county works to determine the best way to handle future deed restriction requests. Came to ski, stayed for the library. So says the abundant local bumper sticker. The Wilkinson Public Library is a source of pride for many in and around Telluride. Not only can a cardholder check out books, CDs, and movies, but also musical instruments, iPads, digital cameras, binoculars, snowshoes, and even a disc golf target. Well, now you can add saws, shovels, and drills to the list. The WPL is rolling out a new tool library available to patrons 18 years and older. It includes all sorts of gadgets for your carpentry, gardening, and building needs, even a dolly to just carry stuff around. Head to TellYourEyedLibrary.org to check out the full tool library list. Applications are open for Telluride Arts 2022 small grants. Grants aim to support the development and presentation of new work, and the professional development of individual artists living or working in Telluride. They range from $300 to $2,000. Applicants can work in a variety of disciplines, including visual, media, performing, and literary arts. Artists are required to share work with the people of Telluride through a performance, publication, exhibit, screening, or written or photo documentation in print or online. Grants are funded by the Town of Telluride and administered by Telluride Arts. The deadline to apply for the 2022 small grants is Friday, December 17th. Applications are available at telluridearts.org. New measurements for drought conditions in the West are delivering a grim long-term forecast in the Colorado River Basin. This year brought an exceptionally dry spring to the High Rockies, leaving runoff into Lake Powell a quarter of normal levels. That has sped up chances of the reservoir dropping too low to generate hydropower. Drought persists across much of the Colorado River watershed, but this week could bring a significant amount of rain through next week. The heaviest will fall in Northern California, but significant precipitation could also fall in Nevada, Utah, and western Colorado. Governor Jared Polis says Coloradans who buy their health insurance on the individual market should see their monthly premiums stay relatively stable next year. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. The governor says the lack of big cost increases are thanks to a now two-year-old state program called reinsurance. It has the state paying millions of dollars each year to help cover some of the biggest insurance claims. This takes away some of the insurer's worries and leads them to offer more affordable plans. Polis says premiums statewide will go up an average of just over 1% next year. But he says without reinsurance, they were projected to go up 24%. The program is having the biggest impact on the West Slope in Summit and Mesa counties. Open enrollment for individual plans will start November 1st and run until January 15th, 2022. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Friday, expect mostly sunny skies with a high in the mid-50s. Friday night should be partly cloudy with low around freezing. Saturday calls for partly sunny skies with a high near 50 degrees. 
Saturday night, expect mostly cloudy skies with a low around freezing and a 40% chance of snow showers. This has been the news for Thursday, October 21st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hi, this is Robin Kondracki, and I'm the Advocate Coordinator at the San Miguel Resource Center. We are offering two free victim advocacy trainings, one in Norwood at the Lone Cone Library and the other in Telluride at the Wilkinson Public Library. Both trainings are held for three consecutive weeks and have an online and in-person component, totaling to a 40-hour comprehensive program. We cover a wide variety of topics, including domestic violence, sexual assault, victim advocacy, trauma and mental health, child advocacy, and more. Upon completion of the training, participants will become certified victim advocates in the state of Colorado. A certified victim advocate may volunteer with SMRC by taking shifts on the 24-hour helpline, though volunteering is not a requirement. Being a certified victim advocate provides you with an incredibly unique opportunity to help members of your community who need your support, even if they may appear to be completely fine on the surface level. Intimate partner violence has always been present in our region, but the pandemic has unfortunately exacerbated the circumstances that can lead to this type of violence. Now more than ever, you have the ability to potentially change somebody's life as a victim advocate in our community. Our volunteer advocates are essential to the success of SMRC, and we are incredibly grateful for any help offered to us. Volunteers are the reason the 24-hour helpline is able to exist, which serves so many individuals regionally who may be in crisis. SMRC would love to invite you into our volunteer community. If you are interested in registering for either the Norwood or Telluride training, or if you would like more information on the training, please email me at advocates at smrcco.org or give me a call at 970-728-5842, extension 3 pound. Spots are limited, so be sure to register soon. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.